This is the Heartland College Sports Podcast, Bedlam Edition. I'm Eric G. from 97.1, the sports animal in Tulsa. And coming up on this week's show, we'll take a look at the OU Nebraska game, and I'll tell you why. This is going to be a much tougher battle than you might think, despite all the turmoil going on in Lincoln. I'll tell you what Oklahoma State has to do to beat Arkansas Pine Bluff, and we'll discuss why Texas is back but not in the way a lot of people normally consider. But since it is Monday, or at least the day after, two days after both OU and OSU played, and it is the football season, let's start with what Eric got right and what Eric got wrong. And what Eric got wrong was OU did not come out and play with the same intensity as they did against UTEP. I thought this was a given, didn't you? The fact that OU went out and hammered UTEP the way they did, you would have thought that Brent Venables would have had that same kind of energy at practice last week. OU would have wanted to come out, continue to improve, continue to impress, but instead they came out flat, especially on the offensive end, unable to score a touchdown until late in the first half. The other thing that was really disappointing about OU in the first half of that game was Dylan Gabriel and the fact that he got so determined to pass sometimes that he didn't use his ability to run. And it just seems like a no-brainer that when your receivers are covered, as well as they were a couple of times in the first half, pull the ball down, run, go ahead, do whatever you have to do to get positive yardage. Give them one more thing to think about because what running quarterbacks do is they absolutely frustrate defenses. When you are a coach, the last thing you want to have to deal with is a running back who can make plays with his legs, especially when you think you've got everything else taken care of. Dylan Gabriel, you're going to have to be more decisive, especially next week when OU goes into Lincoln to take on Nebraska. What I got wrong as well, OSU's defense actually improved. Um, That was worrisome. Looking at them in week one against Central Michigan, especially in the second and third level, linebackers, defensive backs, they were unable to tackle. And Central Michigan was able to use those short passes for big gains, and you just kind of worry, all right, this is probably going to be a pro, you know, a project. From week one all the way to the end of the season, you're just going to have to hope that there's you know I- increment improvements for, for this Oklahoma State defense. And, and maybe in that second and third level, they'll just get better from week to week. And then finally by week 12, they'll be able to put it all together yeah, and, and it looked like it was that way from, from the first series that Arizona State had. I mean, Arizona State was able to march down the field with relative ease against OSU, but as the game wore on, or really after that series, it wasn't so much after the game wore on, they tightened up. And you saw that defensive line do what it was capable of doing. It was so good to have Trace Ford back and healthy. Doesn't look like a cat that had a couple of knee surgeries, had a couple of pass breaks up. Colin Oliver, congratulations on your sack this week. But yeah, I got that wrong. Oklahoma State's defense was able to improve much faster than what I thought. Now let's see if they don't have a letdown against Arkansas Pine Bluff. What I got right, well... What I got right was that Oklahoma's defense is actually better than Oklahoma's offense. And I thought that going into the game is that's probably where we were going to be 
at the beginning of the year because it feels like, to uh, maybe you're not getting this, but to me, it feels like OU's offense is much more a work in progress than what their defense is. Defense, despite giving up a few third and longs, was, which frustrated you, and despite the offense being flat, the defense probably being out there way too long, what we got was guys still running around and making tackles. That was beautiful to watch. Look, we've been crying about that for so many years now as Oklahoma fans. There's people that just watch the Sooners. You want to see them fly to the ball and make tackles. And Danny Stutzman just continues to get better every single week. In fact, he was the best player I saw this week between the, between the two teams. Now, does that make him the best defensive player in the Big 12? Well, I think there's an argument to be made for it, but I'm still going to err on the side of Colin Oliver because I need to see Danny Stutzman do it against competition that's not UTEP and not Kent State. I know Colin Oliver can make big plays against big-time opponents. Can Danny Stutzman do it and do it on a regular basis? That's something that we're going to have to see. But Saturday, yeah, if I had to give an MVP between the two teams... It'd be Danny Stutzman one and um, Spencer Sanders number two. Another thing that I got right and I've been saying all along, okay? And again, I, it, it's for me, it's not about being right or wrong. And I actually have more fun when I'm wrong because usually when I'm wrong, it's things that I, 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 I don't want to happen when things go wrong. But anyway, um, what I got right is that Spencer Sanders is certainly the best quarterback in the Big 12, and I don't know how you could have watched as many Big 12 games as you probably did this week and came to any other conclusion. One, look at the way that he is passing the ball. There seems to be a little bit more zip on the ball. I, I am not sure that it's possible that your arm can get stronger, but his passes look more crisp, and he looks like a guy that's able to put more spin on the ball. Two, Anytime Spencer Sanders wants to run it, you will gladly let him run the ball. And he's going to be dangerous for teams. I don't care if it's called runs. I don't care if it's him making plays because everything else has been taken away and he just decides he's the best option. I want to see him run as much as possible because that gives Oklahoma State a chance to win or a much better chance to win. And with Spencer Sanders... The one thing that Mike Gundy is going to have to be very careful of is just how much do you run this guy? Because running back-wise, while Dom Richardson was pretty good on Saturday, you still you still can't really rely on Oklahoma State's running backs. Kind of the same with OU. Um, Marcus Major was good, but Marcus Major can't be great. Dom Richardson can't be great. Eric Gray can't be great. You don't have a great running back in Stillwater or Norman this year, but what you've got in Stillwater to make up for it is a is a quarterback who can essentially be a running back, but you're going to have to be careful not to get him beat up because while Gunnar Gundy may have the moxie to come in and win you a game, you don't want to have to rely on him for a three- or four-game stretch because Spencer Sanders is beat up. But for all... For all the hype concerning Dylan Gabriel, and really the hype only came from fans. Okay, there was uh, there were were or are a few in the media that like to make Dylan Gabriel out to be better than what he is, but I think we saw the real Dylan Gabriel this Saturday, which is he's a serviceable, 
good college quarterback. Anything beyond that, if you're saying Dylan Gabriel is one of the top three quarterbacks in the Big 12, which he might be, um, but if you're saying that he's better than Spencer Sanders, you're only saying that because you want him to be better than Spencer Sanders. You're not necessarily telling the truth in that situation. And that's not to rip on fans, and that's not for me to tell you what to think. But watching both those games on Saturday, which I did, I sat in my home and I watched both of them simultaneously. Spencer Sanders was much better, and he's going to continue to be much better this year. Dylan Gabriel has to get better with decision-making. Um, he's going to have to get better throwing the ball to a certain extent, and he's going to need to run more. We, we need to see that he can make better plays with his legs. We know Spencer Sanders can do all this, and um, JT Daniels, man, great one week, but you lose to Kansas the next. So, yeah, your top three quarterbacks in the Big 12 in no particular order um, or actually in a particular order, be Spencer Sanders one. Um, I'll go Martinez two, and then I'll go Dylan Gabriel three. I just, I, I think Dylan Gabriel's good. I just don't see him as being anything more than good. Um, the OU offense, okay, lackluster, but here's something that uh, Coach Jones and I talked about on our show today for quite a bit of time, and that is, I, I don't know how much of the, uh, the Arkansas game you had a chance to see with them taking on South Carolina. Of course, working in Tulsa, Arkansas is of, of great interest. But also, being an OU fan, you might have been interested in that game simply because Spencer Rattler was playing. And for whatever reason, there's still a lot of hate towards Spencer Rattler coming from OU fans. Look, the kid got booed. He got replaced. He left. Don't know why the hate is there, but it's still there. And people were still loving to rip on him. Um, but... I thought maybe some of y'all might have watched that game simply because he was there. Anyway, to the point I was trying to make and should have made here concerning concerning that game is I would like to see OU's offense look more like Arkansas's offense. Now, does that make me right? No. But you've got Kendall Bryles, who is from that Art Bryles coaching tree and at Baylor. Jeff Levy, also a part of that same tree. We hear how Jeff Levy wants to be physical and how he likes the physical run game, but OU isn't playing like Arkansas. Arkansas wants to run the ball. They do a lot more called runs versus a lot more RPOs, which you have with Oklahoma. Okay, so if Oklahoma gets more determined to run the ball, you can be a more physical team. And with Brent Venables being a defensive, you know, a defensive guy and a defensive-minded coach, you would think that's what he would be instructing Jeff Levy to do. But I don't know that that's necessarily in the Oklahoma DNA, so to speak. And to an extent, I always think that that OU in some way, shape, or form is always going to be finesse to some extent. You know, I kind of always thought that with the wishbone and, you know, certainly with as long as they have run the spread or variations of the spread offense, it's just kind of built into them. But yeah, I'd like to see them look a lot more like Arkansas. And where I will disagree with Pat Jones is, no, I don't think OU has better running backs than Arkansas does right now. Which, what does that say about the state of OU football? More importantly, maybe what does it say about the state of running backs in high school football right now where there's just not a ton of them? But that's something. Get more physical. 
If you can get more physical in the run game, play more complimentary football, which is something that that Oklahoma needs to do because it doesn't feel like they're still playing complimentary football with with the offense and defense, um, we can see this team grow. But right now, it just, you know, it still feels like everything, at least the offense feels like a work in progress. The defense does to a lesser extent. And with the defense, we knew that there was going to be setbacks this year, okay? We knew that they would, you'd have this two steps forward, one step back kind of situation. And yeah, on Saturday, they did take a couple of steps back with giving up the big plays on third down. But remember this, they only gave up three points, three points. And I know Jenny Carlson wrote about Dylan Gabriel's stats. I know you might be looking at Dylan Gabriel's stats. Okay, I I can tell you Danny Stutzman, nine solo tackles. That's great. But it's not so much the stats that I'm worried about. Okay, like I'll give you with Danny Stutzman. The thing that impressed me more than the number of tackles is just how violent this cat is on the field. Okay, that man was born to play defense. He is truly violent. And when he has a chance to hit someone, he delivers a blow. When it comes to Dylan Gabriel, don't be indecisive. When you have the opportunity to run, run. If you're going to throw the ball, throw the ball. Just make make, make it a good throw. Throw the ball. Just be who you are for crying out loud. You can have great stats, but unless you're showing me those things, that's when I'm going to start to worry about this football team. But I still think next week in Lincoln, they definitely pull out a win. But coming up next, I'm going to tell you why that game's going to be tougher than you might think. Thank you for listening to the Heartland College Sports Podcast, Bedlam Edition. I'm Eric G. And if you're a level-headed OU fan like I am, or at least uh, maybe a paranoid <laughs> OU fan like like I am and like I have uh, I have grown up being, um, then this game with Nebraska should scare the living hell out of you. And it scares the living hell out of me. And it didn't. It didn't until yesterday morning when we all found out that Scott Frost got the boot. At that point, I actually freaked out about what might happen in Lincoln on Saturday. And you're asking why. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to go back to a couple of times when OU played Texas. Uh, first time, back here, uh, it was, was it 2013? Just had just just come back from New Mexico. Started work at a radio station that no one listens to now. And I was, I was there for, for what was going to be, or at least what was being... What we were we were all kind of presenting on radio, which shows you we know absolutely nothing. Um, Mac Brown sendoff. OU was going to go down. They were going to beat the living hell out of Texas. I think I called it. You know, I think I even used the term bloodbath. This is going to be a bloodbath. You know, Texas is just begging to get beat. Season's bad. They want this thing over. And then the next thing you know. OU has a OU goes out plays a very lackluster game. Texas wins, and for Mac Brown, uh, oddly enough, felt very happy for Mac Brown that day, sitting in the press conference because I don't think I've ever seen a guy smile in a press conference as big as he has. Even when guys get jobs, you know, Mac Brown was smiling. Then there was it was Charlie Strong. It was Charlie Strong's second year. 
Texas was a dumpster fire, right? Texas had no chance of beating OU. I used the term bloodbath again because, darn it, this time I was going to be right. Yeah, not so much. Texas wins again. OU goes out with a lackluster performance. This is where Brent Venables has to be key. And the good thing that Brent... And it's almost, in a weird way, it's almost good that OU had that... that you know, that, that, that underwhelming performance. Yes, <laughs> I was searching for another word to use. Uh, the, the underwhelming performance against Kent State in the first half. Because now you can draw on that to get these guys to work harder. You can jump their ass a little bit more this week. You can push them harder. And with Nebraska, Scott Frost is gone. And, and look, this is a strange time for Nebraska. Because unless you're just a college football geek, you probably can't name five guys off of these off this team. All right, I know I couldn't. I, Casey Thompson. I mean, Nebraska's got. You go to the Nebraska game notes, okay, which you can access just as easy as I can here. But go to the Nebraska game notes. One of the things they highlight in their game notes is the fact that they've got players. Um, they've got all these transfer students. All right. With FBS, FBS and FCS experience entering 2022. That's not Nebraska football. Getting transfers from Montana, Furman, New Mexico State, Georgetown. All right, Georgetown good for basketball. Not so good for football. These are kids that you're relying on to restore Nebraska. Okay, these are kids that Scott Frost was relying on to get Nebraska to eight wins, maybe nine, in order to save his job. Furman, Montana, Georgetown, Northern Colorado, Northern Iowa. All right. Now, granted, you've got some Texas and Texas Tech and, and LSUs, and you know, there's a kid from Oklahoma State in there. But for the most part, um, if if you know. This Williams kid, Kane Williams, Kane Williams, whatever his name is. And does it really matter? If he was any good, this guy played one game at Alabama. If that dude was any good, is he leaving Alabama for Nebraska right now? No. But here's your problem. Mickey Joseph has got this job for right now. He's the interim coach. The only way Mickey Joseph maintains this job is if he goes undefeated. And honestly, Nebraska doesn't have that dawning of a schedule after Oklahoma. I mean, you're looking at people like Purdue, Illinois, um, winnable games. Michigan is the toughest game you play. What You've got Wisconsin, who just lost to Washington State. Iowa, who just lost to Iowa State. I mean, this is all doable. I mean, the most losable game you have, besides Oklahoma, is Michigan. But then again, this is a team that did lose to Northwestern. But in order to go undefeated... You got to win that first one. And now that the new coach is fired, players want to, or the, the old coach is fired, new coach is in, players want to impress him, it's going to become one of these games where you're going to get fooled into thinking it's over long before it actually is. Oklahoma could be up 21 to nothing, um, 17 to nothing at the end of the end of the first quarter. It's three-score game, whatever. You know, you could even be up, say, 24-7, whatever, going into the half, 31-7. And you still can't think this one's over because these kids want to fight for Mickey Joseph. If Mickey Joseph is a guy that they like, okay, now I'm assuming they actually like this guy. They could hate him for all we know. They could absolutely hate this guy and be like, screw him, let's lose, let's get him fired, let's get out of here, let's get a new coach. 
But in the day and age of a transfer portal, the coaches can use to their advantage, meaning, what I mean by this is, listen, very careful, is that you as a coach can suggest that a kid needs to get into the transfer portal as a way to get him out. Okay, you can use it to you can use it to excommunicate kids just as easy as you can to bring them in. And the best way for you to keep your scholarship is to keep Mickey Joseph there. So you have got to bust your butt this entire game. And I honestly don't expect this game to be over until sometime midway through the fourth quarter. I I am expecting this one to be a battle. Hoping for a blowout, but expecting this one to be an absolute battle. It, it just, look, Casey Joe, I, look, I think, you know, Charles Thompson's kid, Casey Thompson, I think he's a good kid. I think he's a good player. Um, but I do think you can rattle him. And that's what that, if you're asking me, like, if I'm going to give you, like, keys to the game, the key to the game to me is, the, is for the defense to play violent early on. Get to Casey Thompson, rattle him. Shut the running backs down. Anytime the receivers make a catch, hit them, wrap them up. Just play as violent as you have these last couple of weeks. And because Nebraska hasn't played anyone this tough physically yet, you do that, you'll be fine. You you ought to win this game. Oh, you should roll in this game. But because you've got all this, you know, all this really weird turmoil going, and sometimes kids can find inspiration in the damnedest places, it could mean that Nebraska comes out and plays a hell of a lot harder than than, than what we than what we thought they were capable of. I'm just sort of had this. I mean, this this weird paranoia sit in once they fired Scott Frost, and, and I know a lot of people were thinking, well, this game was going to be tough. You know, this game was going to be tough prior to that. Then they saw the Georgia Southern loss, and they thought, nah, there's no way. OU, you know, OU's going to go out and hammer them. But now I'm like, yeah, no, this is yeah. I'd rather Scott Frost be be on the sidelines and still be worried about his job versus what versus what they've done now. And you know what? I normally wouldn't say this when somebody fires someone, but I I gotta give Trev Albert some props here because when he fired Scott Frost, he fired him so that he's actually gonna make. You know, fifteen million dollars as opposed to seven million dollars, and I think part of the reason, I mean, well, one of the reasons he did that is one because I think everybody on the board of regents wants Scott Frost out, but two, I think for him it was like, look, we're going to make a change anyway. I can fire you now, or I can fire you in October. Which would you prefer? You leave now, and guess what? You you leave now, and get and guess what? You can uh, you can leave with your full amount. You know, and that's I, I want I want to think there was there was goodness in this. There probably wasn't. I'm probably just making all that up. But I at least want to think there was a little bit of goodness in it. As far as oh as far as OSU Arkansas Pine Bluff, um, not too concerned about this one from the Oklahoma State standpoint, other than just a letdown. Just don't have a letdown. I'm not gonna BS you through Arkansas Pine Bluff. There are other podcasts that can do that. Uh, we are having their coach Doc Gamble on our show, and if I get time later this week to do another podcast. I, I will have some of that for you. I think they're kind of an interesting school. 
uh, being a uh, school out of the swack, historically black university, walloped their their they walloped their their first opponent, somebody named North American. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, somebody named North American. They they went out and hung like seventy six on them, and then they got into a, they got into a score fest in in their second game against somebody named Lane. <laughs> but um, yeah, but I want to give you those exact scores: forty eight, forty two, Lane. And then 76-3 against North American there. That way you can have the, the more accurate score of the two. By the way, I do my podcast like I am on radio. I work a lot on the fly, if you can't tell. Um, but I just think for, for Oklahoma State, just go out, play with intensity, and try and get this one over as early as possible. And real quick, um, Texas is back. Or actually, Texas never left. The current The current incarnation of Texas as we know it is still alive and well. Okay, the Texas of Daryl Royal, the Texas of Mac Brown, I don't know if that is coming back. And look, the, the game with Alabama, Texas could have won that game. They were in it because Alabama made a lot of mistakes. But here's something that's very disappointing, is that Steve Sarkeesian is way too happy about playing close. Okay, if you've heard his comments, hey, no one believed us, but we went out and we played good. He's he's taking he he's taking pride in this moral victory. Told his players, well, you didn't lose the game, you run out of time. No, Steve, they lost. You're at Texas, they lost. That is not the Texas standard. The Oklahoma standard, if Oklahoma just goes out and competes with Georgia next year, and let's say that that OU is eight and four this year and, and they're still rebuilding or whatever the situation is. But it's a similar game to Texas played against Alabama. And OU's got every chance to win and they don't. Yeah, we're pissed about that. Because that's not Oklahoma. Rebuilding or not, that's not Oklahoma. Even in the 90s, OU fans did not take solace in a loss that was close. Well, at least my friends didn't. They took solace in a lot of drinking afterwards. But that's not Texas. And it's disappointing to see Texas do that. And it starts to make you wonder... What is the Texas standard? We know what the Oklahoma standard is. We know where the Oklahoma State standard is going. But Texas, you're far off from what you used to be and what you possibly could be. That wraps up this week's show, or possibly just one for this week. We could have two. Keep it here. Keep following along. Remember, subscribe, rate, review, give us five stars, or at least what you think we're worth. Let us know what we can improve on. May God bless you and your families. The great Jackie Moon always says, everybody love everybody. And to quote Diamond David Lee Roth, stay frosty.